You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Did you pick up on that yawn, Aaron, right there? Did that get picked up? Well, let's just leave it in there. Yeah, I just yawned. Um, It's better than coughing, which is what Tommy was just doing moments ago. Tommy's and on you the... were too. I was. You're right. I know what my cough is from. Do you know what your cough is from? Yeah, absolutely. What's it from? What's yours from? Do you have the Rona? No, I don't have the Rona. <laughs> okay. Do you have the Rona? No, I've got allergies. There's no doubt the pollen today. It's a beautiful day. It's warm. And it's it's an allergy cough. I know I know I know the difference. Well, I don't know the difference because I've never had the Rona. I mean, who knows? Maybe I do have the Rona and I'm asymptomatic. You know, because a lot of people apparently you know have had it or have it and aren't getting any symptoms. But well, um, coughing would be a symptom, so that wouldn't be asymptomatic. That's true, but I don't have. I at least I don't feel like I have right now a fever. Um, I don't have shortness of breath. Um, both of those things could develop when I leave here. I'm going to knock on wood as I say that. Um, but I don't think I have the Rona. Do you, do you you don't think what is your cough from? Just your bronchial issues of the last six years? No, I have allergies as well. Okay. Did you have something else going on too, which is why you couldn't join me on the podcast yesterday? Are you okay? Do you have gout? Did you tell the doctor off? Well, I didn't tell the doctor off. The doctor, I was having another attack in my right foot. It was swollen, and it was very painful. From all those ass kickings you keep giving people. (laughs) I know. Not as painful as it was in Florida, but it was painful. Uh, And she said, well, she wanted to see me right away because she wanted to see it, you know, to be able to evaluate it in its full uh, glory. Uh, so she did, she looked at it and she said, yeah, that's gout. (laughs) Did you say, I told you that the other day? Yeah, kind of, but I understand why, you know, they, I mean, my foot looked normal the other day right? and she just wanted to see it just to make sure. So, uh, she prescribed some medicines, including steroids again to, to calm it down and, uh, put me on some kind of gout medicine. So we'll see what happens. It's fine today. Absolutely fine today. Am I right about what I'm going to say that being on a steroidal medication right now can weaken your immune system? I have no idea. Okay. So she I, did... I think it strength I think it strengthens you. Okay. I thought yeah. that I read that anybody taking sort of steroids uh in, in prescription meds that it can actually impact and weaken your immune system right now. And no one, no one obviously wants a weakened immune system right now. Right. She didn't mention I hope I didn't worry you that. unnecessarily. Listen, anything you say when it comes to medicine does not worry me in the least. <laughs> That's fair. But can, may, I, may I make a recommendation? No. I'm going to do it anyway. When we're of done, you are. when we're done with the podcast, I would like you to call her, and I would at like to, I'd like you to ask her whether or not the medication you're on impacts your immune system in any way. Will you do that for me or not? I'm just curious. Honey, not even. I'm not going to do that, honey. <laughs> you're not going to do that. You can't just. No, dear. 
Okay. I'm not going to do that, dear. All right. Um, very good. Uh, that's fine. That, that's fine. I, I think I might be right, and some of you can just tweet both Tommy at Tom Lavero and Don't me at Kevin Sheehan DC me. as to whether I'm Don't not I'm right me. or wrong. Don't tweet me about it. I'll block you if you tweet me. <laughs> I'll you, can't, you. you will not accept tweeted medical advice. Will you tweet out a picture of your foot? Well, it's okay now. It's okay now? It's normal now. Okay, good. Yes. Well, that's what's that's most what important. For. That's what's the most important. Bring it back to normal. And it allow so. you, right, to go out for some of those walks around the, uh, around the home, around the community home that you're in. Yes. Well, How is everybody like in the are. home? Everybody in the home is okay. All right, Hanging in there. Doing okay. All right. We only got, what, uh, half a year more to go? Do you think that that's true? I don't know. Nobody knows. I don't think anybody really knows. That's what I think. I mean, I just think that, I think the risk is that for people that uh, it's, uh, I mean, like you said, you can be a carrier and not have it. You can be asymptomatic and not have it. So people, I mean, like the areas that we think are healthy now, all it takes, like, I mean, geographic locations that we think are not a problem now, all it takes is a couple of people to travel in that area, and then it starts getting spread around. So, I mean, while I felt like I kind of had a handle on what was coming, I have no idea what was what's coming now. I think that that's really where, what my position is. It's like, you know, I, I, I read, I watch the... You know, the growing debate about whether or not the virus will have more impact, um, negative impact uh, on on this world or the economic depression that we could be approaching would have uh, as much, if not more, of a negative impact uh, on, you know, certainly our country. And I and I understand that debate and I'm, I'm open to both sides. I, to me, I just don't know that you can definitively say where this thing is going. And I think that like Dr. Burks, who, by the way, she's very impressive, you know, as is Fauci. And by the way, I've been very critical of the president's press briefings, which have been anything but brief. The last two days have been massive improvements because in part he's done 20 minutes instead of an hour and a half and then gotten the hell out of the way and let Burks and Fauci uh, handle it. She's very impressive. But, you know, I sat there and I listened to her yesterday, and I can do the math of understanding that the one number we do know are the number of deaths associated with coronavirus. And the number that we don't know, but has to be higher, is the number of infections. And therefore, the fatality rate is going to keep going lower as we find out about more of the infections that either we didn't know because they weren't tested, or we are just learning about uh, because they were primarily asymptomatic. So I understand that some of these numbers and some of these wild speculative numbers about fatality rates being in the 3 to 4% range are probably more likely than not going to be wrong. With that said, what Fauci keeps talking about and has talked about the last two days, which is you know, preparing for the second wave of this next fall yeah. and next winter, you know, I think is a bit ominous, you know, and making sure that we have treatments in place. And, you know, there, there's lots of progress on that. And hopefully 
having a vaccine at the at that point ready to go. So yeah, there there does seem to be a lot um, that isn't known, even though I mean she essentially admitted they don't know the number of infections, you know. They don't know the exact number, and I and I can understand why. I mean, there's a lot of people that have had this or have it and don't know they have it. You're absolutely right. Uh, I can't wait till Easter Sunday when we all go to church. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think personally as much as I've been, you know, um, certainly uh, just observationally critical of the communication and the leadership in this, I don't think he's going to go against the medical and the scientists and stuff well, churches with people or encourage people to... No, he can't because ultimately the states will have the final say um, in yeah. this. But I, I just don't think but that I, publicly, I think, I think, if we get to I Easter think, week and... and and Fauci and Burks are saying it's irresponsible to, add, to 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 encourage people to fill churches on Easter Sunday. I don't think he'll do it. I don't think he will either. That's too much of a political risk. It's, as well, well, yeah. I mean, it's more than. I mean, it. I mean, what you've heard from Burks and from Fauci is that during these task force meetings, they have. It's they've gone much better than perhaps the press conferences or press briefings have gone with respect with respect to him you know not arguing with the science or the medicine him being very supportive of it so i don't know but you know i think your original point stands i don't think any i, I think the one concern would be that nobody really knows like i said to you i think a week ago my cdc neighbor explained to me that with mers and sars that the health community still to this day doesn't know why either one died out, that there's not a medical explanation for it. And there's so much unknown with viruses. What they do know is that it's highly contagious. It's a surface-spreading virus, which is always a significant concern. And that, you know, um, even though the death rates are low, it doesn't mean that the next wave of it won't be higher if there is another wave. Yeah, we don't know. We don't, but we never know. You know, we go through life thinking we, we're, you know, we make our plans. We're so certain about what we're doing, but we never really know what's around the corner. I'll tell you what I um, I think uh, I think right now for people, it's really getting to the point for families who have hunkered down all over the world and our country and our state and our areas in which we live in and around the area where it's tough. I'll tell you, my guess is it's toughest on those parents with younger kids, you know, younger kids who would have been in school, um, younger kids who, you know, may have, um, you know, that, that are out of a routine. Now my kids are older. Your kids are much older. It's so much easier for me than, you know, a, a mother and father at home or just a single parent at home with young kids. It, it, it gets challenging when you now have to essentially come up with stuff for them to do, you know, 18 hours or 16 hours a day rather than, you know, seven or eight, you know, if they're not in school in particular. I can't imagine how, how that would be. Oh. I really can't. Trying to think back to my kids and, and trying to keep them under control. And uh, yeah, I, I just can't imagine what, what that, that life. That would be 
That would be much more stressful than what I'm going through now. I, no doubt. Like I've got older boys who are at home, and the biggest challenge really is what are we going to do for dinner tonight, you know? And coming up with an answer to that one. Now, fortunately, you know, and I hope this continues to be the case, you know, I'm working. You know, I'm in a studio by myself, except when Aaron comes in for the podcast and we're more than six feet away and we're all washed up and we're all, you know, uh, we're, we're all hand sanitizer down here. Um, but at least that takes up, I mean, thank God, you know, I'm able to work and I feel for those of you that aren't, I mean, it's awful. I understand that economically and otherwise. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if I had kids, I think my cable bill every month would be $600. Yeah. Because of the movies you'd be buying. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, uh, also, you know, before we get started on some of the news of the day, um, I do, if I haven't said this already, because the numbers for the show have been really, really great, um, which I can't begin to tell you how much I appreciate that. And Tommy appreciates it and Aaron appreciates it. Absolutely. Um, because some of you have said some very nice things about how it's great to be able to listen to the podcast and it's a nice, you know, sort of diversion, if you will, well, being able to do it you know, is a great diversion for us too. So, um, it's been, uh, you know, it's been great. So I, I appreciate all of, uh, all of that. Um, all of us do. And, and we obviously wish everybody the best and the best of health here. Um, all right, there's, um, there's been, uh, a lot of, of news here re- regarding uh, Trent Williams every single day. It's like the gift that keeps on giving, um, and yesterday he went on with your radio station, went on with Grant and Danny on WJFK, uh, 106.7 The Fan. And there were several things Actually, that, I think it was, it was his agent that went on. I'm sorry. God, I, I, did, that, I did that this morning. Trent Williams didn't go on. Yeah, Vince Taylor, agent. the agent, went on. Right. Thank you very much. Went on. Um, sure. This follows, you know, his statement that he put out the other day through Adam Schefter. It follows a long you know, tweeted out thread from Diana Russini about things that she had learned with respect to the Trent Williams Redskins situation. We went through a lot of that uh, yesterday and the day before, or yesterday and on Tuesday. Um, And yesterday, Vince Taylor went on radio, local radio, and there were many things uh, that he said um, during uh, the course of this interview. Um, There was one particular part of what Vince Taylor said on JFK yesterday that I want to get to that gave me more, maybe a lot of clarity on the way I feel about this right now. And I'll get to that in a moment. But some of the things he said included that Taylor said that when Trent was in the hospital, you know, after the surgery on his scalp um, in Chicago, he said no one came to see him. Um, and remember when we first heard about that, you know, a lot of people that was part of Tommy, remember when everybody was pro Trent in this situation and, and by the way, it would be easy to believe, right? Cause the Redskins are a horrible organization with horrible people. And you know, that's terrible. How, you know, why didn't, you know, people from the organization, you know, visit him? Well, you know, John Kime, Ben Standing, a few others reported, you know, well after the fact that actually the Redskins head athletic trainer, Larry Hess, who everybody, including Trent, had a problem with, was in Chicago for a full week during that particular uh 
uh, surgery. So someone from the organization was there that he that he had spent several days with Trent um, afterwards. It was also reported that uh, Snyder, Bruce Allen, and others in the organization reached out multiple times and were never, you know, responded to during that course um, of time. It also was said by the agent that um, the meeting with Ron Rivera that's now been reported multiple times to have been very short with Trent Williams, 10 to 15 minutes in length, that Taylor said yesterday that Trent was off-put by it because he essentially said, look, man, you got to come in and prove yourself. You know, uh, and it wasn't like, hey, how are you doing? How's your family? You know, we want you to be a part of our, our, our plans. And apparently Trent was also upset that Ron Rivera had met with other free agents before meeting with him, including a guy like Greg Olson, who had played with Rivera. You know, remember, you know, Trent's under contract. Some of these other guys that he may have had conversations with are actual free agents. But here's the part to me that gave me clarity, Tommy. And it's this particular line. First of all, he talks about the contract and says the money that's been reported that Trent's asking for is nowhere near uh, what the reports have been, that he's not looking for $20 million or more per year. But here's the line, all right? Quote, the contract has never been the holdup. It's never been about the contract. Trent has never made demands on a contract, closed quote. If that's true, well, then what are we talking about here? Come in and play. What are we talking about if it's never been about a contract? The guy that you wanted gone more than anybody else that you distrusted, that you said was a major reason for the holdout, Bruce Allen, is gone. Larry Hess, the the head athletic trainer, gone. All right, the guy that you profess to love, Dan Snyder, which has been mentioned multiple times, is still here. And he went out and he hired a coaching staff and a head coach that is widely respected as a great players coach. So what are we talking about here? Get in and play. You're under contract. Okay. We're still back to the same situation here. I mean, I wouldn't believe anything that came from either side at this point. I wouldn't necessarily believe, well, I do believe that Trent, obviously, you know, was going through a lot with the, with the cancer situation. But other than that, uh, any of the reports about Larry Hess being there for a week, uh, I mean, has Larry Hess said that? No, Kime and Standig reported it. <clears throat> right, well, where do you think they got it from? They probably got it from Larry Hess and somebody from the Redskins, I guess. But uh, right. but, but I actually so, think that, yeah, I could be wrong about this, but I think Trent did actually at that October press conference admit that Larry Hess was there. I think he did. Why would he do that when I don't know? Well, opposite. because because they're completely and they haven't been on the same page. Why okay. would Trent, you know, uh, allude to you know a discussion about a, a new contract? And the the agent say yesterday it's never been about the contract. Well, that's because that's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's ridiculous on both sides. My whole point is Ron, they, the Redskins have still have not gotten their arms around this thing. They still have no control over this thing, even though they have control over Trent. It's still an issue. Here we are, what, uh, you know, eight months later, nine months later, and Ron Rivera could have taken care of this right from the start. 
he, he could have either gotten a handle as to what was this all about right from the beginning, and he could have met with Trent early on, the biggest issue that really uh, the Redskins had to deal with last year, and, and say to him, and, and either, you know, tell him, we want you, but we can't do the, you know, we can't give you a raise or something like that, or at least have a handle on the situation so he could say to Trent then, look, you know, we're not going to we're not going to pay you that much moving forward. We're going to do everything we can to trade you. Uh, or, or if you want to go ahead and work out a trade, that's fine. He could have done that two months ago. You know, I mean, this is what's what's the best thing for the organization is to have put this behind them, and they did nothing to do that and only exasperated it. Um. I agree with you, and I said as much, and have said as much with you, that if it had been me, I would have reached out to Trent. It would have been one of the first things I would have done. Uh, Okay, it would have been. But, you know, to be honest with you, for him to be overly sensitive about not being reached out to first, I I also have a problem with that. I, I, I I would have done it that way, but, you know, Ron Rivera has a mountain of a challenge here in changing a culture. Okay, so it had uh, you know a lot of priorities when he first got here. You know, hiring a new coaching staff, and and by the way, you know, addressing the players that don't have contracts next year before addressing potentially the players that do have contracts right now, which Trent Williams has. Um, I, I, again, I think I would have done that, but I also have a problem with Trent being overly sensitive to the fact that it wasn't done. Remember. The Jerry Brewer story, Tommy, where Jerry Brewer referred to Trent Williams as being super upset about them drafting Jaron Christian in the third round. I think we're learning that Trent Williams is sort of highly sensitive to not being, you know, uh, you know, paid attention to in a certain way or dealt with in a certain way. And all I'm saying is, if you're going to have your agent go out there and say this isn't about a contract. You know, the contract's never been the holdup. It's never been about the contract. Trent has never made demands on a contract. Then what are we talking about if we got rid of the people that Trent didn't want? Why isn't it, Why does he demand a trade now then? Because Ron Rivera slighted him by not calling him early enough? That's ridiculous. Kevin, I mean, if you know football players. You know athletes. There's so much. Tom Brady wanted to get out of New England because after three Super Bowls, they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, this is what this is what, what the greatest athletes do. They're very sensitive. I mean, Jordan, it was, it, was, it was what drove Jordan. I mean, Michael Jordan. He was very sensitive about everything. So the fact that Trent uh, does not act like a normal person, like you or I might act, it goes with the territory of who they are. And most of these guys are prima donnas. Some much more worse than others, some more manageable than others. But, uh, I mean, look, nobody looks good on this thing. And I think to pick sides is just doing what Bruce Allen did. I think everyone who, ta- all the fans who take this personally are missing the point. The point is, and what's the best thing for my team? What's best for my team? Just like the owner needs that, what's best for the organization? Every day he wakes up in the morning. And, I mean, to, to, to be offended by Trent Williams 
uh, at this point. It, it misses the point. Well, the Redskins aren't offended. Trent Trent's offended by, the, by, by Rivera's handling of him so far. Right. According to but his agent. if you're agent. a Redskins fan, what do you care what Trent Williams thinks at this point? You just want him gone. So, you know, a couple of things. Number one, I don't believe the agent. Let's start with that. So my, when I say that the agent statement gave me clarity, it's like if you're going to say that, then then be then come in and play. Don't give me this bullshit about uh, about Rivera not treating you in a certain way. You've gotten what you wanted. You got Bruce Allen gone. You got Larry Hess gone. You know it's not about money. So let's go play football and we'll assess at the end of the year. But of course it's about money, and of course it's about the contract. And I think what's the, uh, a big problem for Trent here, Tommy, is that the owner, uh, the owner, the agent in his you know discussions this week, both through Adam Schefter and now through uh, JFK. Sounds desperate to change the narrative again, and he's not doing a good job of it. You know, there, a year ago, this was all pro-Trent. Now it's pro-team, in part because Allen's not there, and in many ways the Redskins are going to be given at least the benefit of the doubt for a while. And by the way, this waffling back and forth about medical, money, you know, I think people are starting to see through it. So... I know you believe it's like time to move on because you don't need the disruption. I think what we're hearing from his agent is they really need an end to this thing because the longer it goes on, it's not good for his client. You know, they're losing leverage by the day and they're losing the PR battle in this as well. You know, Trent Williams, I I need to, to mention something real quickly because I got this wrong. Um, and J.I. Halsell, our, our good friend, former agent, former you know NFL executive, um, you know I got with him yesterday, and he actually came on the radio show this morning. But basically, I said earlier in the week that the new CBA um, basically was incredibly more punitive for holdout situations. That if you held out for more than five days, that your contract would essentially be delayed. All right, and Trent would come back with still one year remaining on the contract if he were to hold out. It's not true. Um, it is much more punitive on players holding out, and I'll get to that in a moment. There were very confusing summaries uh, of this portion of the new CBA that actually confused some agents and teams as well. But with, with, with that said, I should have read the fine print, and the fine print says that Trent's accrued too many seasons, so he's not impacted by this. If he were to hold out, and then come in by week 11, I think it is, like he did last year, then he would get credit for 2020 season. So now, as a practical matter, Trent Williams can't hold out again. He can't sit out a second year and then expect to get some sort of big deal in 2021. You know, he's got to play football this year. You know, whether it's with the new team that he gets traded to or it's this team. Like, I I still think the Redskins have a ton of leverage with the exception of the Redskins need some clarity on their left tackle position too. You know, it's like, are we going to go out and sign somebody else, Jason Peters, or who, by the way, is represented by the same agent, or re-sign Donald Penn? You know, you can't go out and get Jason Peters as long as Trent Williams counts on your book, you know, on on your cap. Um, so the Redskins need some some clarity to this as well. But I guess one of the things um, I wanted to point out is that you know the the PR narrative I think has changed on this, Tommy. I, I mean, but why did why did he, why would Trent Williams at this point care about the PR narrative? 
that's not the same thing as the industry narrative. I'm sure that inside inside NFL offices, you know, while they don't like a player who does something like this, they roll their eyes and they say, well, it's the Redskins. What do you expect? I'm sure that still goes on, even with Ron Rivera in place. The same guy still owns the team, so I don't think this hurts Trent Williams at all with any front offices who would want Trent Williams to play for them. And that's the only audience this agent cares about now. He's just They're just going to make life more difficult for the Redskins now, something they should have done initially, like when this first started, instead of trying to lay low and speak to surrogates. They're going to make life more difficult for the Redskins, which is going to decrease the Redskins' leverage as we get closer to whatever a season will be, to the point where I think the Redskins will have no choice but to trade them for whatever they get. I dis- I so disagree with that. Um, first of all, I don't see it being disruptive to the Redskins right now. In fact, every time that agent speaks, I think it helps the Redskins. Um, secondly, with who? Sec- with, who? With, with its customer base and its fan base. And I think secondly... Why does he care about that? I'm, I'm sorry? Why would the agent care about their the Redskins' customers and fans? Well, I don't. Th- I'm, I'm saying that the team doesn't care about this being continued to be put out there because it's not at this point changing the way p- people feel about them. Like I, I think people are actually more pro team now than they are pro player in this confrontation. But the team can't function from a football standpoint. Why? As well, why? There's nothing going on right now anyway. Williams. You just, you just explained they don't have an answer at left tackle. Yeah, but they don't have to come up with the answer today. I'm saying that the the only aspect of this that is uncomfortable for the team is at some point they're going to have to make a decision on left tackle. And I agree with you that that does put them a little bit at a disadvantage, but I think the overwhelming disadvantage is sort of you know with Trent Williams. Trent Williams needs, wants a new contract and wants to play football next year and doesn't want to play here. I, I also disagree with you um, with respect to whether or not this is hurting him in league circles. I think all of the reporting, Albert Breer's reporting in particular, about him asking and wanting uh, delusional money um, is turning teams off to Trent Williams. Now, again, his agent you know, basically contradicts all that in terms of what they're asking for, and he says it's not even about contract. You know, and it's never been about the contract, but all of the reporting, you know, Albert Breer most recently is that he's hearing it's 100% the reason a deal that hasn't been done is 100% because of what uh, Trent Williams wants in a new, new deal. Um, there's a lot of, you know, clearly it, both sides, it's like it's hard to really decipher what's going on here. The agent says it's not about money. The reporting is they're asking for too much money, right? The team is saying that go ahead and seek a trade. We're open to it. And then the agent's saying that they're turning down the trades that are available. And they're they're essentially outrageous in terms of their demands, which John Keim has said is a second-round value, which doesn't seem that outrageous to me. Um, but I, I, I don't know that the league is right now blaming the Redskins for this. I'm sure they did a year ago because it was Bruce. I don't know that the league is looking at this saying this is all on the Redskins. I think the only thing the league cares about is can Trent Williams play. I think that's the only thing front office executives will care about. And I don't think they could care less about any of the posturing. And I think, in fact, you know, if I'm an NFL uh, front office executive, 
I'm thinking this guy is just doing what everybody else that's tried to get out of Redskins Park is doing at this point. I, I think the Redskins did not lose the reputation they have the day Ron Rivera got hired. I don't know. I think Ron Rivera being here and Bruce Allen being gone, um, at least for a moment until proven otherwise, fair enough, and more likely than not, it will be proven otherwise, that um, that they may be viewed differently um, by, by the rest of the league. I, I think Ron Rivera is a highly respected guy in this league. And, you know, when it comes to whether or not he can play, that's part of this issue too, right? Trent Williams sat out the entire season last year. The last time he played was 2018. He missed three games. In 2017, he missed six games. And in 2016, he got suspended for four games. So it's been a while since Trent has played at a super high level consistently. And then he held out last year. You know, the bottom line is this agent hasn't done Trent Williams any favors with the amount of money he's he's lost. He should have reported last year and gone straight to injured reserve. That seems to me to be, out of all of the discussion about this, the, the, the biggest mistake, two big mistakes, Bruce not trading him when, when he should have, and Trent listening to his agent about not reporting. Trent should have reported, gone straight to injured reserve when there would have been a legitimate reason for him to be on injured reserve after multiple surgeries to his scalp in the offseason and not lost any money. Because this guy... And I, I agree with you on both of those counts. And the minute he got here, started banging the drum about wanting to leave. The yeah. minute he got there, he should have been doing it from Redskins Park Every day, the problem he's instead been... of quiet, instead of being quiet about it, and let the occasional word go out through one of his friends. The problem is, if if he had gone that route and been banging the drum, they would have answered the call, which they did, which is getting rid of Bruce Allen and getting rid of Larry Hess. And now, where are you? Now you, they've done what you asked them to do. So now, what's the issue? Well, we know no, what the I issue think... is. The issue is money even though the agent says that, it's not. Look, I think, I think if he banged the drum from, from day one, it would have become so untenable that they would have dealt him. They just would have had to. <laughs> and at this point, and here's the other thing, you know, you keep saying the Redskins, you know, we'll just, you know, just, you know, go ahead and sit out, you know, we'll just play without you. I mean, that, they don't, they're not paying him, but that they're, they're carrying his salary on their cap hit. Yes, they are. And that's money that then that's money that could be used to sign a free agent. No doubt. So, don't, so, so that's hurting the team. Well, that's what I said. That, that is the one thing working against them right now is not only carrying that number, but the sort of uncertainty around a very important position on their team. You know, so without if they move on from Trent, if they get what they want, say a second rounder or the equivalent thereof, two thirds or you know a fourth and a player or something like that, and they're able to move on from from him, then they now can go solve that problem, which is you know signing Jason Peters to a two year deal or re-signing Donald Penn or whatever they would do, you know, to come up because I don't think this guy Cornelius Lucas is the answer as a starter. He might be. Um, maybe they think differently about Jaron Christian. I have no idea. I think that the idea that you have and that others have, you're not alone on this, that it's just time to move on and take whatever you can get, is sort of this notion of Trent represents the past, not the future. Let's move on. 
The problem I would have with that is that what you get back for Trent does represent the future. And a second rounder is a hell of a lot better than a fifth rounder. And so I would at least wait this out until the draft. Because when you get to the draft and teams, and that's only another month, Okay, that's only another month because Goodell has pushed forward with the draft um, and is not moving the date on that. I would wait until the draft when teams may say, you know what, that left tackle that I was hoping to get in the draft I didn't get, now I will give up a second rounder. And it might be a 2021 second rounder, Tommy, but I would wait until the draft at the very least if I were the Redskins. Okay, I, I, I get that. I understand that. but I, And I don't know what the, what the, what the cap hit is for Trent Williams next year. I'm thinking it's at around $10 million. Well, it's nothing next year. Uh, you, you mean in 2020? I mean, it's coming year. Oh, it's it's yeah. it's, it's, twel- it's $12.5 million if he plays. I think it's fourteen five in total, something like that. Okay. So, I mean, basically, is that amount of money that you can spend for a, the next year worth the difference between a second or a third round pick? Um. Well, the Redskins right now have plenty of cap space. That's the thing. I, well, what, you, know, what, you never have enough. No. Well, you right. Never have enough. It, you can have more. The Redskins have roughly thirty million. Like they're sixth now after the signings of like Cody Latimer and some of the others recently. So they're they've got the sixth most cap space. Obviously, if they had gotten the Amari Cooper deal done, which is the big swing they took, they'd be near the bottom of cap space, but they have plenty of cap space. No, you're right. It's not like they want to carry Trent's salary without him playing. I understand that, but I also don't so think... So is that worth the difference between a second or a third round pick? You say, okay, we're going to eat that $12 million because we're not going to accept a third round pick instead of a second. Um, Again, I would... Uh, today... I would personally, I'd call up the agent and I'd say, "You just went on local radio yesterday and said it's not about the money, it's not about the contract." That's awesome because we'd love to have Trent Williams play left tackle for us. So, can we just agree that this thing is over and Trent's going to come in and play for us next year? Like, I, I mean, wouldn't that you? Wouldn't that be your answer after listening to the agent yesterday? Like, so what? So what is the holdup then? That Ron didn't call him at a certain time. Let's get Ron and, and Trent back together and let's work this thing out. We thought it was all about the money all along. This is great news. We thought you guys wanted $25 million a year. And so did Ron, which is why Ron was you know, so short with your guy. But if you're saying locally and publicly on local radio that it's not about the contract, hey, let's, get, let's make this thing happen. I'd call their bluff on that. I'd do it in a public setting. I'd, and, and I'd say, let's have this conversation again, on the Team 980 or or on the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. <laughs> again, I mean, you know, the public relations battle is is not the battle that's being fought here anymore. Yeah. I know, but I think I think the agent went on the air, and they're they're more aggressive now, just because they want they want to create more dissension. Even if the dissension is against Trent Williams, it's still dissension. Yeah. It's just not. It's just nonsensical. Uh, sort of um, like again. I mean, you, you you can't come on and and essentially say it's never been about the contract, and at the same time, by the way, talk about the dollars that we've been asking for and have been reported aren't anywhere near. Like, which is it? Or is it not about a new contract, or is it about a, a difference in in you know what they claim they'll pay you and what you want? I mean. 
I, this guy is not handling it well for his client. That's, I think, very obvious. And at the same time, the Redskins didn't handle it well last year. They should have traded him when the trading opportunities were probably um, most advantageous um, for them. Uh, I, You know, I think it's about the money. I think the agent's flat out lying in the radio interview. I think that they want a new big deal. Um, and they prefer it with a new team because they're done with this team. Uh, I bet you if the Redskins went back to him tomorrow and said, hey, we'll pay you, you know, we'll give you a three-year three a contract extension, you know, worth $20 million, $21, 22000000 million per year, that money might solve all of these issues. Um, but uh, I'm sure he wants to move on. Uh, what's the difference between a second and a third for the $14 million or whatever on, on the cap number next year? Ask me after the draft. Okay. I have no problem with them waiting till after the draft. I mean, that makes sense. And by the way, I mean, I'm thinking most of the information about Trent and what he's asking for has come from Redskins Park, and my guess is they're just as likely lying as Trent Williams' agent. Well, that is your default, and you certainly haven't been wrong in the past. Um and I, you know, I'm not going to say... They could both be lying. They both they could, could be. Everybody could be lying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I read from Barry's column earlier um, because Barry sort of had the same reaction that I did uh, with respect to the agent saying it's not about the contract. And he's like, you know, well, then jump on board. Um, and he said, Rivera's presence and Allen's absence put Washington in a different position than it's been in more than a decade. It's possible now when controversy arises that the franchise is actually in the right. The default mode for so long has been, how are the Redskins messing this up? And no doubt there will be cases of that to come because the owner remains the same. Chaos uh, remains the same, and chaos seems, uh, seems somehow baked into the DNA in Ashburn. Um, but he said, Rivera's here to fundamentally change the culture. We can debate, given Snyder's presence, whether that's possible, but he should at least be allowed to try with his best players and his best leaders on board. Williams, as much as anyone, should understand that change was needed, and desperately, if it has never been about the contract, why not jump on board? I'm with you. The problem is it's always been about the contract, and I think the agent was more likely than not not being fully uh, I think not being honest uh, at all uh, on that radio. Interview. And again, as much as I think that, you know, Ron Rivera, uh, everybody needs to be behind what Ron Rivera does at this point because I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt moving forward. With his strong reputation around the league, I still think that he mishandled. He could have handled this better from the start to maybe avoid lots of this. All right. Um Okay, uh, what did I want to get to next? Um, I, what did you make of, of the league announcement from Roger Goodell? It was a memo to all the teams, excuse me, that that Goodell, um, that somehow Adam Schefter obtained. And basically, the draft is going to stand put April 23rd through 25th. Um, it's going to be obviously a much different draft. It's not going to be held in Las Vegas. Um, teams are not going to be able to gather in you know war rooms uh, as of now. Um, and Goodell served a warning um, to uh, to all 32 teams. He wrote in the memo, "quote Public discussion of issues related to the draft serves no useful purpose and is grounds for disciplinary action." closed quote there's been already 
several general managers around the league that have asked that the draft be pushed back. Mickey Loomis, the GM in New Orleans, on Peter King's podcast said, I'd be personally in favor of delaying the draft so that we can get some of the work done that our scouts and our personnel people ordinarily do. And then just the logistics of trying to conduct the draft with not having access to your draft rooms and your offices creates a lot of logistical problems, closed quote. Um, Goodell uh, also in this memo said, quote, everyone recognizes that the public health conditions are highly uncertain and that there is no assurance that we can select a different date and be confident that conditions will be significantly more favorable than they are today. I also believe, Goodell writes, that the draft can serve as a very positive purpose for our clubs, our fans, and the country at large, and many of, many of you have agreed, closed quote. Um, a lot there. Obviously, I think the headline is the draft is standing put in terms of the dates, and then, you know, Goodell warning teams that public discussion of issues related to this could be grounds for disciplinary action. What do you make of it? Well, first of all, I'm sure his his late father, uh, the senator, uh, would would be very proud of his son putting a gag order on people saying they'll be punished <laughs> if they talk about the league's business. It's a private business. I know. I know that. But uh, it's never a good look. And it's never a good practice to do that. And if you're a good boss, you don't usually have to do that. Uh, the second thing is, I think, you know, I don't particularly care. If I'm Goodell, I don't particularly care about GMs and how difficult their work or job is going to be. I don't care. I don't care. You know, your life is tough. Your job is tough. Everybody's got a difficult situation to go through. Make it work. I think he's right that, you know, the league was right about free agency. They didn't push that back. Yep. And I think, I think it worked out well for the league. I think it worked out for, well for sports fans who had at least some kind of diversion to talk about. And I think if they properly, and I can't imagine them doing otherwise, and if I were the NFL before the draft, the first thing I would put on is my – is is my league doctors explaining how the league is conducting this draft to be to be health conscious, to be aware of, of the restrictions at hand. I would literally go on TV and explain our our, our, our we're only allowing one. For, I mean, you know, the people are going to be sitting so much apart. They're going to be in different locations. We're not bringing draftees in. I would explain the steps that the league has taken to make this as safe as possible before the draft even began. Yeah, basically the draft that we're going to conduct is similar to the draft that we conducted back in 1958. Yes. <laughs> this is this is what we're going to do. He did say um he uh, or this story outlined that general managers are concerned basically with several things. Number one, that you know um, the team facilities are closed. There's not going to be any time or ability for player physicals or gathering psychological testing or getting uh, further verified information about the players, and that there's not going to be the typical war room. You know, but I mean, they can create a virtual war room, can't they? With technology, Listen, again. I mean, I agree I with you. This about, I don't care about their problems, and they all have the same problem. If you're sharing in the same burden, then nobody has an advantage or a disadvantage. Unless Tommy, unless let me just point this out. Unless in certain states, 
you know, there are, uh, you know, there's more ability to sort of convene in groups of 10 or less, you know? I don't think that'll happen by April 23rd. Well, we we've already said we don't know what's going to happen. The point right. is, what, what if, the point is, what if what if a team in a certain state, let's just say the Packers in Wisconsin, have the ability to do more per their state, you know, lack of shutdown or rules or whatever? They 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 have the ability to do more than say, you know, uh, the Giants and the Jets. Well, then if if, if that happens, and I don't think it's going to happen then the NFL has to make sure everyone plays by the same rules. They can't give the Packers an advantage in how they prepare for the draft just because they have less restrictions. Right. You've know, yeah. got to have a uniformity about how the draft is conducted for every team. Yep, I agree with that. I agree with that. That makes total sense. But again, sense. I'm okay with it moving forward. With, with those steps, I'm okay with I just don't like Goodell's you know, strong arm about shutting people up. But I'm okay with it moving forward, and I'll watch it. Oh my God! Watch it. More people people are going to watch it than ever before. Watch it. What do you mean, watch it? That we'd have nothing to talk about in the next month if it were delayed. So So, yeah. So I'm okay with it, uh, given certain conditions. All right. I wanted to um, get to this. You know, radio station team 980 uh, DC Ultimate Sports Star bracket that Aaron and I have been talking to. And we're down to the Sweet 16 now, Tommy. So I think now we get into some heavyweight matchups here uh, and you can weigh in a little bit. But for those that haven't uh, voted, um, you know, the polls are open for the Sweet 16 voting uh, uh, at Team 980 on Twitter and the Team980.com as well. It's actually been a great idea. It's been a lot of fun and it's been a tremendous reaction um, to it. Uh, we're into the Sweet 16. All four of the number one seeds have survived to the Sweet 16. Joe Gibbs easily, uh, he trounced Ryan Zimmerman in, in a round of 32. Walter Johnson crushed Braden Holtby um, in a round of 32 to get to the Sweet 16. Daryl Green beat Joe Theismann pretty handily in a round of 32 uh, matchup. And then Alex Ovechkin blew out Morgan Wooten in a round of 32. He's into the Sweet 16. And actually, all of the two seeds advanced as well. Sugar Ray Leonard beat Russ Grimm. Rigo beat Gary Clark, Tommy, after beating Clinton Portis. Max Scherzer took out Joe Jacoby. Uh, and Sammy Baugh knocked out Dexter Manley. Some people thought that Dexter would have a chance there. So the Sweet 16 matchups are Gibbs and Patrick Ewing in a 1-4 matchup, Art Monk against Sugar Ray Leonard, Walter Johnson against Gary Williams, Sean Taylor did beat Allen Iverson, and he's matched up against Rigo, which will be a very interesting Sweet 16 matchup. Nicholas Backstrom took out Elvin Hayes. He's matched up against Max Scherzer. Daryl Green against John Thompson. Thompson took out Bethard. Sonny beat Brian Mitchell. He's matched up against Sammy Baugh, the two greatest quarterbacks in Redskins franchise history. And how about Strasburg beating Wes Unseld? So it's Alex Ovechkin against Strasburg in a Sweet 16 matchup. What's interesting about this is that younger people have made their presence felt. 
with like Sean Taylor, Steven Strasburg, Alex Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom, and a lot of the older people with Walter Johnson and Sammy Baugh and Sonny Jurgensen have sort of made their presence felt. But Gibbs against Ewing, I don't think is going to be close, Tommy. I think Gibbs will advance there. Um, Monk and Sugar Ray Leonard. Whew. I'm surprised Sugar Ray actually, I mean, I'm glad he got through all of this. Um, but I don't know. Art Monk just took out Anthony Rendon. That's a, that's a good Sweet 16 matchup. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I, I, would agree. I, I, I like these matchups moving forward. Uh, and I agree with almost everyone that moved on in, in, in the way you described it. I'm so happy to see that Walter Johnson and Sammy Baugh still have a presence. <laughs> I knew you uh, would be. <laughs> uh, 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 yes, absolutely. I mean, because they're only two of the greatest players in the history of their leagues, respectively. How do you feel, though, about like uh, Steven Strasburg taking out Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes being ousted by Nicholas Backstrom? Who's a greater DC sports figure, Elvin Hayes or Nicholas Backstrom? They both are champions. Uh, I would say Backstrom. Really? I mean, Elvin Hayes didn't play his whole career with the franchise. Uh, the the West West was beaten by who? Strasburg. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. I'm going to say I agree with that one too. Maybe I'm dealing with the immediacy of of the moment there, even though obviously I I saw and loved all Wes Unseld's uh, contributions. Uh, But uh, I think the baseball team means more, especially since it returned uh, baseball to D.C. after there was so much absence. I think the presence, I think accomplishing something on the Nationals is bigger than accomplishing something on the Bullets. Um. Yeah, I don't have a problem with Strasburg over Wes. Uh, I think Elvin Hayes, his career is a a much more prolific career than Backstrom's, and he won a title too. And by the way, participated in three NBA Finals uh, as a Washington Bullet. Um, so. I, I, I did vote for Elvin Hayes against Backstrom, but I'm, I'm not necessarily surprised about Backstrom advancing. Elvin Hayes is a long time ago, and he's not a long time ago Redskin. The long time ago Redskins advanced, and Walter Johnson did as well, um, but the long time ago Bullets slash Wizards uh, did not advance uh, in, this, in, this, in this bracket. Um, you know, the Aaron and I both, before it started, predicted Gibbs and Ovechkin easily into the championship. Um, I, I, that, and I still feel that way. And based on the vote totals, they've both annihilated their opponents so far. Um, Ovechkin beat Ali Krieger and then took out Morgan Wooten. Gibbs uh, took out Ole Kolzig and then Ryan Zimmerman. I still think that they are the prohibitive favorites to make the final. And neither result would shock me, Ovechkin winning or Gibbs winning. I predicted Gibbs would win. Gibbs is going up against Patrick Ewing, who beat Bias. I think Gibbs will easily get through that. Monk against Sugar Ray Leonard is interesting. You know, we're going to find out how much, you know, power Sugar Ray has and how much of an understanding sports fans have in the mark, in the area because Sugar Ray Leonard is one of the all-time great uh, fighters and Art Monk's a Hall of Famer and a champion. Walter Johnson against Gary Williams. 
I mean, Walter Johnson's arguably the best overall player on this list. He probably is. Yes. You know? He probably is. So, I think I think he wins I think he wins over Gary Williams. And then really the one that I think uh Aaron and I are most interested in because I think Aaron has has felt Sean Taylor's got a chance to make a deep run into this. Rigo's matched up with Sean Taylor in a sweet sixteen matchup. Oh, I think Rigo crushes him. I do too. Let me see where the voting is because we're now into the voting right now. Um actually it's early in the voting right now. Uh, where's Rigo? I don't see the Rigo matchup. Do you, Aaron? Yeah, I got it. Hold on. It's uh, let me quickly. Sean Taylor's up fifty four forty six. I told you, Sean Taylor's going to be on an unstoppable force in this tournament. Yeah, that's a bad Sweet Sixteen matchup for Rigo. The voting's still early, and by the way, that's a tight voting right now. Very tight, because the other matchups right now are sort of one-sided. Daryl Green's got a big lead on Thompson. Jurgensen's got a big lead on Sammy Baugh. Gibbs has a massive lead on Patrick Ewing. Scherzer's got a big lead on Backstrom. Um, I don't see the rest of this. Where are you seeing the rest of this? What, what's Ovechkin's where's the Ray Leonard, Where's the Ray Leonard one? Where's Ray Leonard Art Monk, Aaron? I think Ray wins that one. I bet you Art Monk does. Do you see it, Aaron? Yeah, uh, it's uh, Art Monk's dominating right now. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. What about Ovechkin Strasburg? I think Ovechkin wins that one. I do too, but I bet that one's a bit closer than we think. No, no. Ovi with yeah. a runaway right now. Really? 87%. Yeah, but Gibbs has the biggest lead right now over Patrick Ewing. I mean, Patrick, Patrick Ewing is the... It's amazing how many incredible athletes there are. What about Walter Johnson, Gary Williams? Quickly, give me that. I didn't see that one. I like Johnson. Gary Williams over Walter Johnson right now. Coach Gary! Let's go! (laughs) Um, All right. Who do you think Gary would would vote for? (laughs) The thing is, is that I don't think Gary's got a prayer against either Sean Taylor or Rigo. In the Elite Eight. Um, I'll tell you what, Aaron, you're going to probably be right. I mean, and then it would be Sean Taylor against Joe Gibbs in a Final Four matchup. That'd be unbelievable. That would be fascinating to see. I I think Gibbs would win that one, but... I think the finale, the the final game, the final contest, is Gibbs against Max Scherzer. Really? So you you think uh, Scherzer takes out Ovechkin in the Final Four? Yes. Yes, I do. Nah, I don't see that one. You might be right. I mean, Scherzer has won by big. Uh, Ovechkin, his big, he's won by a lot. So is Scherzer, but Scherzer had tougher competition. He had to take out Brenda Fries and then Jake in the second round. You know, uh, Ovechkin went up against Morgan Wooten. Look, Morgan Wooten is a legend, a legend, but there are more you know, people interested in the Redskins and voting the Redskins through than Morgan Wooten, I think, in this thing. Um, anyway, uh, at Team980 on Twitter to vote on this and follow it. Same with, uh, you can do the same at the Team980.com. All right, um, I wanted to take a moment here. First of all, there are two, you know, we usually don't do a lot of obits on this show. Um, sometimes we do. 
but only if they impact us uh, for the most part and or the audience. Curly Neal passed away yesterday at the age of 77. You know, a globetrotter, a phenomenal ball handler, um, one of the greatest of all time. Um, I just remember, you know, my father taking me to see the Globetrotters virtually every year. And if it wasn't my father, it was part of a birthday party for somebody, you know, the Globetrotters. Um, But I wanted to mention the passing of somebody else, Tommy, that many listeners out there will know this name. And many of you won't, but um, I ask you to listen anyway, um, because I think he was an important figure for, for many reasons. Lou Luce, Louis Luce, um, passed away Sunday at the age of 81. For those of you that know the name, um, you know that he is considered by many to be the greatest all-around athlete in the history of Washington, D.C. He was a football, basketball, and baseball all met at Wilson in the 1950s, in the mid-1950s. Um, and I grew up, Tommy, hearing Louis Luce's name. My father knew him, was friends with him. My uncle, my aunt, you know, my father went to Carroll, grew up in, in, in the same area that Louis Luce grew up in, same exact age. Um, my, my uncle went to Gonzaga. You know, I grew up hearing, and you know, you and I have talked about this before. I grew up listening to all of the stories about the great high school athletes and sports teams in this area. My father went to Carroll. Um, he was a part of, uh, of Carroll basketball before the teams that uh, John Thompson was a part of, you know, Monk Malloy, uh, Hoover, George Leftwich. You know, those of you that know what I'm talking about, Carroll's basketball team of 50, uh, 58, 59, and 60 is considered to be the greatest high school basketball team of all time. They had a winning streak of 55 games, uh, and they produced some of the greatest players. And, of course, in John Thompson, you know, one of the great pl- players and coaches of all time, Monk Malloy. Um, is the president of Notre Dame. George Leftwich is considered to be one of the two or three greatest players to ever play. He went to Villanova, got in a car accident. Many people say that he would have been a great NBA player. But that's not the, the story. I got sidetracked here. Louis Luce played at Wilson. And he's one of the only people to ever have been a three-time first-team All-Met in basketball. There aren't a lot of them. Um, three-time All-Metropolitan in basketball. He was an All-Met in football and All-Met in baseball. He played for the Redskins for a year, played in the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates organization for a few years. My father said that while Elgin Baylor is considered to be the greatest basketball player ever from the D.C. area, Louis Luce isn't far behind. But Louis Luce, he thinks, is the greatest baseball player to ever come out of this area. He passed away Sunday at at the age of 81 years old. And John McNamara, who wrote this book, The Capital of Basketball, you know John, who passed away in that horrible shooting, um, you know, in Annapolis, um, the Capital Gazette newspaper in Annapolis. John, man, I I would run into John at Maryland basketball games, Tommy, all the time, and we would sit there and talk Maryland basketball and D.C. high school basketball. And he was putting together, you know, a a book, and he and I would talk about D.C. high school sports. Oh, I have it. I've already read it. It's a great book, uh, The Capital of Basketball. Gary Williams wrote the foreword to it. I mean, look, we've all got a lot of free time. I would urge you to go out and get that book, The Capital of Basketball. If you're interested in D.C. high school basketball, he takes you through every decade uh, of it. But he wrote 
um, in the book about Louis Luce. In particular, the relationship that he had with Dunbar's Willie Jones in the mid-1950s. And this is really the significance. Louis Luce, you know, again, those of you that know the stories about him know that he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, all-around athlete to ever come out of this, this area. He was white. Willie Jones from Dunbar was black. And McNamara wrote basically two pages on their relationship, and I'm going to read some of it for, for those of you that haven't read the book. And Tommy, you haven't you haven't gotten the book yet, have you? No, I have not. But you knew John well. I didn't know him well. I knew him. I, I couldn't say I knew him well, but I, I mean, we talked in, in press boxes and stuff like that. Yes. So anyway, he, here's the part that I was going to read to you. He he writes basketball. You know, in talking about this decade of the 1950s in D.C., basketball was undeniably a vehicle for bridging the gulf between blacks and whites. White kids who played pickup ball with black kids at Turkey Thicket or somewhere else were less likely to look upon blacks with suspicion and vice versa. That was certainly the case with two of the city's biggest stars in the mid-1950s, Wilson's Louis Luce and Dunbar's Willie Jones. Both were picked by the Post and the Evening Star for their all-met teams in 1956, and the two had become thick as thieves by then. Even though Luce was white and Jones was black, they shared a great deal. Both were talented, outgoing, and as their friends would tell you, a little crazy. And my father last night, when I told him that he had passed away, my father shared a bunch of stories about how, uh, uh, you know, uh, he was definitely uh, a risk taker and a little bit nuts as a teenager. But anyway, uh, McNamara continues, every sentence spoken by them or about them seemed to cry out for an exclamation point. Luce was a multi-sport uh, multi star, earning all-med honors in football as well as basketball and baseball. He was as dangerous a running back and kick returner, capable of taking the ball the distance at any time. On the basketball court, he played with much of the same way, barreling down the lane to score without the thought of his own well-being or for anyone who stood in his way. He said for this book, quote, I dropped my shoulder and just drive to the basket. They couldn't stop me. Back in those days, they didn't call charges, closed quote. By the way, Tommy, you know what that reminded me of? Remember when we did the Morgan Wooten Lunch with a Legend? Yes. Remember he told us that ch offensive fouls, charging fouls, they weren't called. And that, he, you know, he sort of in some way took credit for taking the charge and getting referees to start calling it. Remember that? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, um, Luce in the book says, back in those days they didn't call charges. Uh, he writes, Luce burst upon the D.C. basketball scene. He scored 32 points as a sophomore in the inner high championship game, leading Wilson to the title. Um, he said in pickup games, Luce was, you know, would drive the ball uh, to the basket, leading an incredulous Elgin Baylor to cry out once, man, what's wrong with you, Luce? You must be crazy. Um, Jones uh, was no less colorful. Uh, he was six feet tall, one of the best shooters. Says about himself, Willie Jones says, I was the best shooter you've ever seen. He scored 45 points in a high school game and averaged 29 points a game his senior year. Um, given their personalities, McNamara writes, it, was, it wasn't surprising that they became fast friends. The vast difference in their backgrounds might have raised eyebrows, but they paid no mind to such things.
things. <clears throat> Luce lived in well-to-do Chevy Chase, the son of a Teamsters lawyer. Jones grew up on Lamont Street Northwest, not far from Howard University. His father worked as a railroad dining car waiter. But the two young, the two young men were more alike than different. Luce said, because he's black, he's not as good as you. I was never prejudiced against anybody. Jones said about their bond, it was very uncommon back then. It shows you the strength of athletics and respect. We were good athletes. We were cocky to a point, strong in our convictions, so you couldn't say things that would intimidate us. In fact, Luce and Jones went out of their way to demonstrate their friendship, convention be damned. Neither one minded stirring the pot a little bit. If people saw the two of them hanging out together off the court and didn't like it, well, that was tough luck. When Jones needed a car to take his date to the prom, he asked to borrow Luce's car. Lou was only happy to oblige. Afraid Luce might be reluctant, Jones offered to bring the car back the next day just to put Lou's mind at ease. And Luce said, don't worry about it. I'll come by and get it. He didn't go by and get it for another week. Um... Years later, Luce downplayed uh, the uh, that incident of him loaning the car, reluctant to make too much of the gesture. But in 1956, not many white kids from Chevy Chase were loaning their kids, loaning their cars to black kids from Lamont Street. Uh, Jones said, I don't think many people today run across that kind of friendship. He never displayed <clears throat> any of that prejudice with me. He was genuinely, genuinely and truly my friend. So that was from um, John McNamara's book. My father, you know, and my uncle for years told me stories about him, Tommy. My father said, and he was telling me last night, he said, Lou was the first guy, that Louie was the first guy uh, that would bring, you know, black players from the playgrounds that he would be looking for good games. Like he would go down to Turkey Thicket or Berry Farms or wherever to play in games to find the best games. And then he would bring those players. And he essentially, my father said, was in part responsible, not, you know, solely, but was a big part in sort of integrating some of the white basketball playgrounds, you know, sort of uptown, if you will. And that he was, you know, fearless when it came to that sort of stuff. But anyway, a lot of you, there was a huge email going around with a lot of people my age who also grew up, you know, hearing the stories of this particular athlete. He passed away at the age of 81. Uh, so we wish him, uh, we wish his family the best and, and say rest in peace. Um, but, it, you know, some of those stories about that time in that era are, are sort of interesting, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, particularly for me, who isn't from this area. And, you know, I didn't move here until 1983. Uh, so every time I hear a story about these guys, you know, locally, we all had our guys wherever we grew up who, who were like that. And uh, I got to tell you, Kevin, to be honest with you, I never heard of this guy until today. Yeah, I know. I, I, and a lot of people hadn't because when you think about the greatest basketball players, and that's the sport in this area, right, Be, beyond any other in high school sports, yeah. you hear Elgin Baylor, Dave Bing, Adrian Dantley, Danny Ferry, and the list goes on and on. But people who are of a certain age will tell you, and John Thompson has mentioned his name, Louis Luce's name to me many times when we used to work, you know, at the station. And he would say, Louis Luce is up there too, man. And, and, you know, but everybody would say about him that were around then that in terms of the best all around athlete, that there were very few three sport first team all Mets. 
You know, you don't rarely, that's a rare thing. And he was a three time first team All Met basketball player, which there's a short list of those players in the history of the city. Well, he should be known better than for his accomplishments. He should be more celebrated than for doing that. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. All right, um, that's basically it for the day. Uh, Bruce Arians, by the way, says no Antonio Brown uh, to Tampa Bay. Remember, Brady was the big one, was the guy that wanted Antonio Brown badly, but Bruce Arians put that to an end. I can't imagine that Antonio Brown ever plays NFL football again. I would agree at that point, and that may be the best thing for him. To be honest, <laughs> it might be. You know, there's some there's some guys that can't get right with their issues while they're still being adored as a superstar athlete. The, 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 like the two conflict with each other a, a lot of times. The one thing about Tampa I thought that was interesting. I don't want to talk about this for long, but I I, I was taken aback at how glowing the praise was for Jameis Winston as as a teammate. I know, and as a person. I know. Coming out of Tampa. I know. It was something I wasn't aware of. You know, I was only aware of the uh, usual public narratives that have been negative for the most part about Jameis Winston beforehand. But people in the Tampa community, not just teammates, raved about what a, what a, what a great character and person he is. I, uh, and I'm a little surprised. I, I, you know, he should get credit for that. And I think, you know, ultimately a team that winds up with him may wind up with, with ultimately a guy who comes into his own at the right time. Uh, Aaron and I talked about it on the podcast. I, I happened to have been, the day that Brady was signed, I was listening to Rick Stroud, who covers the Buccaneers in Tampa, and he was on with Mad Dog on Mad Dog Radio. And I came in the next day, and Aaron and I were talking about it on the podcast, and I said he was raving about what a uh, how respected and beloved he was by his teammates in, in the coaching staff and the community. And we're talking about the new yeah. coaching staff, that Bruce Arians and the coaching staff and Byron Leftwich, they loved Jameis Winston. Look, you're right. The narrative about him, especially after that incident at Publix, was never that. It was the opposite of that. However, if you go back to when Jameis Winston first started playing at Florida State, what did we hear about him? Unbelievable leadership ability. An incredible, dynamic, charismatic guy that everybody gravitates towards. When he was first leading Florida State, you know, into, you know, the national championship situation. Um, But I agree, Tommy. I sat there and I listened to that interview and I'm like, wow, that is, that that was an eye-opener for me. The guy kept going on and on about, you know, Jameis is so respected. Players love him. They're going to be devastated that he's gone. Um, yeah. And you're right. Like, the talent is unmistakable. Okay? The problem is he throws too many interceptions. Apparently that's know, the only it, problem with him. It's a but big a one. guy like that, if he's all they say he is, he's going to figure it out at some point. Yeah. He will. And he's going to be really good. I think you're right. I've uh, For whatever reason, I've always been a fan of watching him play football. He's... To me, he can make he physically, you know, talent wise, he's way up there, you know, and he's always been the guy that absolutely moves on from his last throw, 
You know, he's got that short memory, the cornerback memory, the quarterback that throws interceptions. He doesn't care. He's going to still throw after throwing three picks. He's still going to throw it into a tight window to try to make a play. And maybe he's got to grow out of some of that, you know, and maybe he will. Um, You know what? It'd be a great story for him to end up catching on somewhere, coming into his own in terms of a football player, and, you know, continuing the more recent narrative of him um, being, you know, a tremendous leader and well-liked and well-respected and all of that. I mean, he was the number one yes. pick in the draft. And that year, yeah, the number one and number two guys right now, that the number one guy doesn't have a job and the number two guy, I don't know, is he going to be a starter or a backup in Oakland or Vegas? I think he's a backup. I think he's a backup for now. Yeah, probably. All right, uh, everybody stay healthy. Enjoy the weekend as much as you can. We'll be back on Monday.